You're listening to the Psalms of Summer, a sermon series of Caroline Springs Anglican. For more information, go to carolinesprings.church. Um, as Pastor John has said, my name is Albert, the intern here at the church. For those who haven't met me, uh, it is my great privilege to say Happy New Year to everyone. Merry Christmas. I would hit you guys with a I haven't seen you guys since last year joke, but I'm sure all the dads in here have just butchered that one, so I'm just going to leave that, save you the discomfort of hearing it again. Um, and so, for me at this point, <clears throat> the beginning of the year is probably the most uh, encouraging time, but also the most anxious time. As I look out on the year from this point, I try to plan everything in my new year, new organized me mentality. But the truth is, I can't see past the next few minutes. I can't see what will happen in the, in the rest of the year. I can't tell you what will happen. But how good it is that we can put our trust in a God that uh, knows the end from the beginning and holds the world in the palm of His hand. Mm, so this morning we'll be starting our look at the, the book of Psalms. Uh, for those who are not familiar with the book of Psalms, they are pretty much a collection of uh, prayers, poems, and songs written by authors, various authors like King uh, David, King Solomon, Moses, and among others. And uh, inspired by God, these words explore the depth of human emotion, the, the various things that humans can feel and puts expression to them. These emotions include fear, anxiety, doubt, uh, even joy, peace, victory, and they teach us that uh, whatever circumstance we're in, whatever emotions we may be feeling, God is always there for us. Uh, he is there to hear us. He is there to hear us, comfort us, and uh, give us justice. Uh, this morning, we'll be taking a look at the 13 verses of Psalms 56, which were written by a man named David, as John has read for us. Um, but before we delve in a bit further, let me just give you a bit of a, a background on the story. And so it's, uh, the background to this can be found in the book of First Samuel. And it starts with ki- uh, Israel wanting a king. So Israel wanting to be like the other nations around them. They don't want to be served by priests or prophets anymore on behalf of God, but they want a king for themselves. And so we read in, the, in First Samuel 8... Verse 5 to 7, these Israelites bring their request to the prophet Samuel, and they said to him, You are old, and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said, Give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord told him, Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you that they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. So wanting to be like the other nations, they ask God for a king, and God grants their request. And so God appoints uh, Saul as their king. Now David was a shepherd boy whom God had chosen to be the next king, and despite being Young and the lowest of his brothers. In fact, when Samuel came to inspect the house of Jesse, he didn't even bother bringing him out. They left him to guard the sheep out in the the paddocks. But David was a man after God's own heart. 
And so he was anointed king of Israel. It was David who, by trusting in God, uh, slayed the, the giant Goliath. This is a story I'm sure all of us will be familiar with. So we have Goliath, a massive dude with a big sword and a armor. And then we have David, the defenseless David, with nothing but a piece of cloth and a rock. And trusting in God, he, he brings down this beast. And I'm not sure if all the kids know this, but then he cuts off his head with his, with his own sword. You're welcome, kids. Uh, David would then go on to defeat Saul and establish Jerusalem as the city we know it today, the, the center of the whole world, the whole Jewish world. And so anyway, Saul becomes very jealous of this guy that's going to come and rob Saul of his throne. And of course, what he does, he goes and tries to kill him. And knowing this, David flees. And as we read in the first verse of our psalm this morning, uh, David writes this psalm as he is seized by the Philistines in Gath. Uh, now what we need to know about this is that the Philistines and the Israelites are like arch enemies, right? They just hate each other with like an intense burning hate. Like if anyone knows Harry Potter and Voldemort, right? Or like the All Blacks and the Wallabies. There's just no way they get along together. Which makes you really think, like makes you really wonder how desperate does David have to be that he has to leave his hometown to seek refuge in the hands of his arch enemy. Like this guy is crazy. Um, what's even worse, the city which he is seized in, Gath, is the hometown of Goliath. So not all, only do they already hate each other, but David slayed this town's hero. So there's some intense hate there. And so you could imagine David is desperate and he is afraid. Uh, this morning we'll explore in Psalm 56 David's cry to God in this time of great fear and anxiety. But before we get into that, um, let me just pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for giving us this day to come together and to hear your word and to sing praises, Father. I thank you that your word is true and that we can put our trust in it. I pray, Father, that as I speak, it be not me speaking from my wisdom, but your spirit that speaks through me, Father. I pray that this morning hearts will be open to hear your voice and to turn their eyes to Jesus. Amen. Uh, just to note that I'll be jumping around in this chapter, just trying to uh, explain a bit better. So let's have a look at it. Psalm 56, verse 1 to 3. Be merciful to me, my God, for my enemies are in hot pursuit. All day long they press their attack. My adversaries pursue me all day long. In their pride, many are attacking me. When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. Crying out to God for mercy, David puts his sufferings before God. Uh, his enemies, David says, pursue me all day long. If you remember that these people have known Goliath, who David killed, they'd be angry. No wonder why they're trying to hunt him down. But... What we also have to remember is that his enemies aren't just the Philistines, they're the people who he's running from, his, home, his own hometown. So they, he's, he's actually cornered, he has nowhere to turn, and he brings, the, brings his um, cry to God. 
uh, for some of you out there who may have experienced this, it's like when someone who you, who you believe was your friend or someone who you were close to turns around and suddenly you have no one to turn to. You could imagine the, um, the loneliness David is feeling. And verse 3, when he says, When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. When I'm afraid, David puts his trust in God. Now David says quite simply that um, when times of fear are upon his enemy and his enemies are around him, he puts his trust in God. Now trust is to have firm belief in the reliability, truth or ability of someone or something. Uh, the trust fall exercise, which my little sister keeps begging me to do, wherever she is, is like, some of you might have done it in school or on a camp, so you stand and then you just fall backwards and you just trust that the people behind you won't let you hurt yourself on the floor. I would show you guys, but the floor is pretty hard, so I'll save it. <clears throat> and so you have to believe, you have to have belief in the ability of these people to catch you when you fall. Um, likewise, when you are hungry, I would trust that Maccas or KFC would be able to fill your belly. I'd rely on their ability to do that. I don't know what of, or I can't believe in the quality of the, all the nutrition, but it will do the trick. I don't walk away from Maccas hungry. In fact, I probably feel even worse. I probably feel too full. <clears throat> but what about when we're afraid? Where do we put our trust when we fear or when, we, when we're scared? When we're facing insecurity or doubt or anxiety or even temptation, you can't turn to Maccas for help. KFC won't help you there. Money, alcohol, pornography, we think that these things will comfort us in our time of need, but the truth is they are nowhere to be seen. They, will, they won't give you anything. They won't bring you any joy or comfort. Now the first thing we as humans like to do is to believe in ourselves. You see it everywhere. I see it all over media, the news, social media. It's just, you can do it. You just have to believe in yourself. Have faith in your own ability. And you can do anything. You just have to believe. But what we forget to understand is, without the Holy Spirit, as Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful above all things. And desperately sick, who can understand it? The unchanged heart, the heart without Christ, is deaf and blind. What kind of leader is this? How trustworthy is the guidance of this heart? Why not trust in Him, as David does, who sees the end from the beginning? When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. Uh, let's keep going. Verses 5 and 6, David continues to plead. All day long, they twist my words. All their schemes are for my ruin. They conspire, they lurk, they watch my steps, hoping to take my life. More often than not, this struggle compared to being hunted down all day long is a struggle many of us would perhaps come close to. The times when everything you say is twisted unfairly, extorted, 
these times when no one can listen to you, when no one will hear your pleads, where will you turn with your, with your cries for help? Um, I look back to the, about 50 years ago when Aboriginals or African Americans weren't allowed to vote. These people, just like David, his cries for help fall on deaf ears. No one wants to hear him. They conspire, they lurk, they watch my steps, hoping to take my life. Verse 7, because of their wickedness, do not let them escape. In your anger, God, bring the nations down. David begs for justice from God, where no one else would hear him. Not the Philistines, not the Israelites. Uh, But let's check out what verse 4 says. Psalm 56, verse 4. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust and am not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? We can see that this is the chorus of David's song. He says it again in verse 10 and 11. David, in the depth of his fear, puts his trust in the Lord and takes him at his word. Um, Isaiah 40 verse 8 says that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God lasts forever. The promises of the Lord will never fade. Likewise, Jesus in Matthew 24 35 says that heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. How incredible that not even the earth can outlive the promises of God. Let me tell you right now, guys, one day the sun will stop burning in the sky and the earth will stop spinning and God will have still kept His promises. When He tells you that He won't forsake you, that's a promise. The earth will come to an end that He still would not have forsaken you. He keeps His promises. Now what an encouragement it is to recall the promises of our Savior, Jesus, and perhaps one of the most well-known of these promises and definitely the one that I've managed to memorize off by heart, I should really have it tattooed somewhere, is the words of Isaiah 41, verse 10. And it says, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. To those who trust in in God... God's promises, He promises His presence. Now for those who know me, you might also know my dad, Pedro. He's in the back there, he's a tank. You know, typical, typical Samoan guy with thighs the size of my torso, right? And arms the size of my head. So, I remember growing up as kids, I'd have no doubt in this dude's ability to bash the next kid's dad, right? Because that's what kids go around saying. Cool. And so that's one of the his biggest skills in my life was to bash other kids' dads. And I remember just walking, living in Samoa, New Zealand, he'd just walk down the road and he'd have my brother Rodney in this hand and me in this hand just walking like that, just exercising. And when I, whenever I'm with him, I don't fear a thing. Would it be insulting to him for me as a little six-year-old nightmare to be with him and still give in to my fears? Would he not be offended? I want to ask you fathers out there, or you mothers, especially you with young children, how would you feel if your young children came to you and they told you they did not feel safe with you? That anything you could do, anything you would do would never make them feel safe. That even though you're there with them, 
you're guiding them through life, they still fear and they give in to their fear. Would they be insulted? How would you feel? Now, I know that parents aren't perfect, but when the creator of the universe, perfect in might and power, promises you that he will be with you, that he will never forsake you, how safe can a man be, right? To those who trust him, God promises that he will be your God, strengthening you, helping you, and sustaining you with his righteous hand. When we're afraid, we are faced with the fact that we cannot control our own life. So let us put our trust in Jesus, who is mighty to save. When we trust Jesus, Romans 15, 13 says that we will be filled with all joy and peace, so that by the power of the Spirit we might abound in hope. So let's take a look at these for a sec. Trusting in Jesus brings joy. Jesus will bring you to rejoice even in the times of your trial. The past few months we've been going through the book of Acts of the Apostles. It's a historic account of the, uh, the works that the Spirit has done through the Apostles after Jesus ascended into heaven. And all throughout that, we just see people getting killed, right? Christians preaching the gospel and getting killed for it. And so in, verse, oh, in chapter 5, um, the apostles have just been flogged in the Jewish council or the Sanhedrin for preaching the gospel, and they've just been told, stop preaching the gospel. And so verse 541, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Uh, that is the name of Jesus. Let me tell you, this is just the beginning of the book of Acts. You've got, a, you've got roughly 20 chapters more of this. Stoning. Slaying. And yet they endured. Why? Because it was all for Jesus. When you trust in Jesus, there is a joy in doing His work, even to the point of death. This joy is hard to explain to someone who doesn't have it, but someone who does, it is like nothing else in the world. Trusting in Jesus brings peace. Now, I don't mean peace in the, um, in the sense we all know it as, inner peace, peace with yourself, but I mean peace in the political sense. The military sense. Uh, Romans 8 verse 7. Not that one. Says that the mind of the flesh is hostile to God and cannot submit to His laws. Indeed, it cannot. Friends, our situation before God is not one of mutual ignorance or not one of uh, live and let live, just separate doing our own thing, but it is one of war. The mind is hostile to God. This is what the world fails to see, that the heart of man is actually at war with God. If God is on one side, then we are on the other side. But by the blood of His cross, Jesus has made peace. Trusting in Jesus is the only way we can stand before God, not as His enemies, but as His sons and daughters. Trusting in Jesus brings hope. 
In Jesus, there is a way to God that there never was before, by his cross. And this is our way, and this is our hope. It is the only hope. So when Jesus says that I am the way, the truth, and the life, he doesn't mean that he is our way, or come to me if you want, you can get to God in another way. No, he is the only way. He is the only way to eternal life. He's the only way to God. For David, these promises are all too real. Though we may be seized by those, though we may be seized by those he once proved stronger than, slaying the, slaying their hero. He is not afraid. Trusting in Jesus for David also brought him boldness. Looking at verse 4 and then again at verse 11 in today's passage, we see what David says in the midst of his persecution. Uh, Psalm 56 verse 4, what can mere mortals do to me? Isn't that just the baddest string of words you've ever heard in your life? Like if I came to kill David and he said that to me, what can mere mortals do to me? I'd be scared out of my mind. Like what is wrong with this guy? He's, I'd be terrified. What kind of question is that? Because we see all too often that mere mortals can do destructive things to one another. If you go home, switch on the news for five, five seconds, you'll see what mere mortals can do to each other. If anyone saw that fight of Ronda Rousey, I didn't watch it, but she got knocked out. That's what they can do. In the, in the eight days of 2017 alone, Istanbul has been ravaged by terror attacks. 39 people killed in the nightclub on the first. A car bomb exploded outside a court. Uh, the war in Aleppo continues with new discoveries almost every week of mass graves, torture, people being tortured. Looking back at the books of, book of Acts again, the followers of Christ were slain in the streets, stoned, crucified, tortured. It is no secret what mere mortals can do to each other. Friends, mere mortals can, can take all that you might hold dear. They can take your job, your livelihood, your home, your life, your family. But the boldness we have in Jesus, the boldness we have in Jesus allows us to look these things in the face and say to it, is that all you got? Is that all you can do? This is where David's trust is. What can mere mortals do to me? So I call you now to put your trust in Jesus. There is nothing else that can save you, no other name under heaven that will save you. While you are afraid, put your trust in Jesus, who is able to grant you peace even while you suffer, and joy even while you're brought as a lamb to be slaughtered. Jesus promises you love that can never be taken away. In his words, in the book of John, Jesus is the light of the world, and anyone who follows him has the light of life. Let's have a look at that final verse. Verse 13. 
For you have delivered me from death and my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. For those who put their trust in Jesus, like David does, he says that you have delivered me from death. He has delivered you from death. Not he is going to or he will. He has already done it. For us on the cross 2,000 years ago, it was done then. It was finished. He has done it. Before you were born, it was finished. Before the earth was formed, it had already been done. Speaking of this sovereign grace that Paul writes in Romans 8, verse 31, he says, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and also intercedes for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we have faced death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons nor the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither heights, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Put your trust in Jesus who will never leave you. Trust in Him whose love promises. The, prom- his pro- the promises of His love even death cannot separate. If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for you, friends, what, what can mere mortals do to you? Now, before I finish this off with prayer, I want to read us the words of a hymn written in the 1800s about trusting in the promises of Jesus. Some of you may have heard it. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise and to know, thus saith the Lord, Oh, how sweet to trust in Jesus, just to trust his cleansing blood, and in simple faith to plunge me beneath the healing, cleansing flood. Yes, tis sweet to trust in Jesus, just from sin and self to cease, just from Jesus simply taking life and rest and joy and peace. I'm so glad that I learned to trust Jesus. Precious Jesus, Savior, friend, and I know that you are with me, would be with me to the end. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him over and over. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. Let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, how wonderful you are. How steadfast your promises and everlasting your love for us. 
We thank you, Father, that through Jesus, through what he has done on the cross, carrying all our burdens, our shame, and our sinfulness, we can be joyful when we are persecuted and fearless in the face of death. Father, I pray that by your Spirit we might come to put our trust in Jesus who is mighty to save and, gives us the, and give us the grace, Father, to trust him more and more every day. And in this perfect name we pray, amen.